My name's Angelo and welcome to We Want Picks. I'm going to break down the entire UFC Vegas 81 fight card, giving you my picks, predictions, and bets. But before I do, let me give you $50. The only thing you need to do is go to wewantpicks.com slash bets, sign up with any one of our partners, make a deposit, and we send you 50 bucks as a thank you. It's affiliate marketing. So you're going to use the link. We're going to get credit for you signing up. They're going to give us some money. I'm going to break off some of that money and I'm going to give it right back to you. And it's going to be Cash App, PayPal, or Venmo. Very real money. This isn't like a deposit match situation. So all you need to do, wewantpicks.com slash bets. Use the link, sign up, make a deposit, and then we will send you 50 bucks as a thank you. I'm going to break down this card. But first, let's do a little bit of coping. Let's take a look at UFC Vegas 80. There were some spots, like some things did go well. First of all, the underdog fantasy hit. Keep in mind, the Kutalaba fight was canceled. So I nailed the Murata, I nailed the Algeo, I nailed the Buckley, and then obviously the Grant Dawson was a big, big time miss, but that did pay out. But if we look a little closer, UFC Vegas 80, kind of a mess, kind of a dumpster fire of a card. We had a canceled fight at the last minute. What's even more annoying is the UFC knew that fight was canceled. They knew it was canceled. They pushed back the start time by a half an hour, but they still let the card start and then announced that that fight was canceled. So anybody that does DraftKings Fantasy was sort of locked into their lineup with Kutalaba or Lynn. So that was very, very annoying. And I think the Kanako decision was bad. I get it. And I will, you know, I, I'm not going to, this isn't a hill I'm going to die on. So I understand the whole takedowns and control time isn't everything you need to do. I get all that. But I just think she did more. I think she won that fight. I think that was a bad decision. If you look at my bets, I lost 0.68 units overall, $68 essentially. Carolina Kovacevic's bet hit. The Montana De La Rosa didn't. That's fine. Big miss. No problem. The Kuta Laba lins over one and a half. That was refunded. My uh, lady over parlay hit. Alex Morono missed, big time missed there. And I didn't bet him money line three and a half. I thought that would be, I thought he'd win a round, honestly, but he didn't, he got smoked. And then the Drew Dober, Kanaka Murata parlay would have hit if these judges, in my opinion, did what they were supposed to do. Again, this is not a hill I'm going to die on. I'm not going to scream and yell, robbery, investigate the guy. It wasn't the worst decision in the world, but I do think the control time, the take, I think that was enough. I think that was enough to get the win. Either way, small loss, Pretty annoying, kind of a weird card. I am more frustrated with the last minute canceled fight than anything because you don't get any time to adjust. And I do play DraftKings Fantasy. I actually won my friend's Fantasy League with like 130 points. That's how sloppy this card was. But let's go ahead and move on into UFC Vegas 81. Let's go ahead and take a look at the line movement tracker. If you don't know what this is, this is one of the tools available to you if you're a premium member. If you're not a premium member, become one. Just go to wewantpicks.com click become a member at the top. It's only $10. The biggest thing I'm going to highlight here are tools. You get access to data, insight, information, tools, write-ups, all everything you need. You get access to everything you need to find your own spots, do your own research. You want to tail, tail. If you don't, you have the tools to come up with your own stuff. But let's take a look at these odds. Two different fighters have flipped from underdogs to favorites on this card. Six fighters have 20% movement or more, and we only have odds for nine fights. There's 11 total. We only have odds for nine fights on this card, but I did highlight the Jonathan Martinez line. This guy opened at plus 250, and he is minus 115 right now. That is 87% line movement. I mean, that is a massive swing in the odds. I don't think I've seen a swing like that for a name fighter in a close matchup in a very 
very long time. But we'll go ahead. We'll break down that fight in a minute. But other stuff you're going to get, the detailed data, metrics, and analytics. This is 38 columns of insight, information, and data that, again, you can use to find your spots, avoid some spots, and you can use it to do your research. You're also going to get the DraftKings Optimizer. This is going to build 150 DraftKings lineups for you. Just straight, you click two buttons, boom, here are your lineups. You can upload those into DraftKings, and you can now enter whatever tournaments you want to enter with essentially a fancy calculator putting together these detailed lineups and taking care of you. You're also going to get courses. I mentioned DraftKings a lot. We do a lot of stuff here. We have, frankly, in my opinion, the best DraftKings offering on the planet. Last night at UFC Vegas 80, we had the best ownership projections yet again. I mean, it's every week, every other week that's happening. But if you don't know what any of that is, and a lot of people don't, we have a full course. Just click on more in the menu, click on courses, and it's going to walk you through exactly what DraftKings Fantasy is, how much money you should be spending, what you should be spending it on, how to build it. All of that is there available for you to learn, build, play. I will tell you, if you have never done DraftKings Fantasy and it is available in your area, you should, even if you don't do it for money. It is so much fun watching these fighters. You didn't know anything about them. You don't care about them, but you have them in your DraftKings lineup, and now you're rooting for some random schmo to get a takedown because you need those five points for your fantasy lineup. It's a ton of fun. If you want to learn more, click on more in the menu and then courses, and you will see that available to you. But you're also going to get more than just me, more than just Jake. You're going to get Running Mouth MMA. There's three of them breaking down fights, giving you picks, giving you bets, giving you insight into all of these fights. You're going to get Artem. Artem breaks down contender series every single week. If you go to his premium page, he's essentially a week ahead. So right now, week 11's picks are up for him at wewantpicks.com. Again, you click become a member, you unlock everything I have mentioned and so much more, including the pick doctor. And this is a guy who has developed an AI picking fights solely based on statistics. Let's go ahead and break this card down. Opening up UFC Vegas 81. We have Chris Gutierrez rebooked. He was supposed to fight at UFC Vegas 80 to Montel Jackson. Montel's gone. He got bumped a week and he's taking on Haley Alatang or Alatang Haley. This should be a very, very interesting fight. And I do think short notice matters very much in this breakdown because Chris Gutierrez is a really good kickbox. He's got great low kicks, good cage control, solid volume, solid cardio, and he keeps a nice pace. No secrets as to what this guy's going to do. He wants to plot forward, light up your legs, which will slow you down. And then he's going to start coming up top and seeing if he can get you out of there. He has good takedown defense at 74%, and that allows him to be loose on his feet because he's not so worried that he's going to get taken down and ridden out. He is coming off that disappointing loss, though, to Pedro Munoz, where he was dropped and then just never found his rhythm. He's taking on Al Tang Haley. I mentioned short notice. It's a week and a half, so it's not two days short notice. But he is coming in here on short notice. He's a technical striker. He can work in some grappling when he needs to. He took down Ryan Benoit four times, Danab Bagarai three times, and Chad Anhaliger twice in his last fight. The problem for Alatang is that, yes, he is technical, and he leans into being a technical striker. So if you brawl him, he can have a little bit of a hard time with that. He doesn't like to be in a dirty, gritty, gross fight. He ends up waiting. He ends up looking for that perfect shot. And then he low volume. Then he doesn't really let his hands go. And that's why he has a negative striking differential. It's not often you see a guy as technical as Haley Alatang with a negative striking differential. He has hit more than he hits his opponents. And again, that's because if you get in his face, he's waiting for a perfect shot, doesn't find it, and you end up touching him two times for every one time that he sends something back. Overall, though, Haley is a very well-rounded guy. 
and he is stepping up on short notice. And thank God for short notice because without it, I think I would struggle with this pick. If this was just a straight up, they both had six weeks of training camp. This was a booked fight already. I might struggle here because Alatang's a very solid guy. And the way that Chris strikes kind of works for Alatang, right? Because Chris is technical. He does things the way he's supposed to do, meaning Alatang can find those perfect spots and not be too hesitant. But with a year away, stepping up on short notice, I do like Chris in this spot quite a bit. Chris was preparing for Montel Jackson, who is a heavy-handed wrestler, right? Montel Jackson, strike first in most fight, but he has phenomenal wrestling and a ton of power. So Chris was prepared for both of those things. Haley Alatang's going to have technical striking, not wild power, but some power. And the takedowns aren't going to matter because Chris, I imagine, has been working, preparing for a very high-level wrestler in Montel Jackson. So... Chris Gutierrez is going to be the pick. Pretty, pretty confident in that, but we don't have odds just yet. This was announced over a week ago, or basically a week ago, and we still don't have odds, which is pretty, pretty, pretty annoying. Some of you might get that reference. Some of you, probably not. Then we have Tanera Lisboa taking on Ravina Oliveira in her UFC debut. Tanera Lisboa is a striker. She's got a Muay Thai background. She likes to load up on her feet and throw wild knees in the clinch. She moves well. She has aggressive striking. Her takedown defense is solid if she is taken down. She does have submissions in her back pocket as well. She's coming off a successful UFC debut where she did showcase her power, her speed, but also the fact that she's got no head movement. Just none. Like, she'll throw. She's fast. She's got power, but her head just stays exactly, doesn't move. Just pop, 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 pop. The whole time. She's taking on Ravina Oliveira, also known as Ravina Canuti or Maria Oliveras Marias. I mean, this breaking her down was it was like a, a freaking word jumble of what the hell is her last name. But she is a Muay Thai striker. She does have nice grinding style takedowns. She likes to stalk forward with low hands, enter the pocket, and then just a flurry of punches and deep kicks before working in a clinch or a potential takedown. She's very fast. She has plenty of volume. She has a 100% finish rate, but she does not seem as dangerous watching the tape as her record implies. She definitely throws with intent, but it seems to be mostly pressure that's breaking her opponents. She is making her UFC debut, and that is after winning seven straight fights. And as much as I think Ravina is pretty overrated, in my opinion, just based off of tape alone, I also think she's better than these three-to-one odds on Tanera Lisboa would make you think. Ravina's got a ton of pressure. She throws a wide variety of different strikes straight down the pipe. And she also has cardio and the potential for takedowns. Yes, I think Lisboa could win here because of the clinch work. Oliveira likes to spend a lot of time in that clinch. But Oliveira throws often with intent. And while Lisboa does not move her head, I think Lisboa is going to be the slight lean here. She feels like a parlay buster. Don't look at the fact that she's a three-to-one favorite and say, oh, let me throw this into something because this is going to be a sloppy fight. I am going to lean Lisboa. I'm probably going to stay away from this on the bet. Then we have Darren Elkins taking on downtown TJ Brown. I forget. What the hell is Darren Elkins' nickname? I, I just, I cannot remember. I, I wish he would tattoo it across his chest in giant capital letters. This way, we wouldn't forget what it was when we're breaking him down. But we have Darren something Elkins. This guy is incredibly tough. Tough enough to get a giant tattoo across his chest of his nickname. He literally wears it as a badge of honor in the form of scars. This tattoo, most likely a couple of loose teeth or two. 
He is always live for a finish. He is the definition of a grinder. He's going to come forward. He throws big strikes. He's going to close the distance. He's going to cut off the cage. He's going to work in some grappling. He's a pretty decent wrestler with incredible top pressure. He is coming off that loss, though, to Jonathan Pierce, where the grappling and the volume were the difference. He just met somebody a little bit better of a wrestler, a little bit busy, a little bit younger, that was able to get the job done. He's taking on downtown TJ Brown, this guy's a high-paced fighter with solid striking, very good grappling, and he averages almost four takedowns per fight. His takedown accuracy is just okay at 55%, but he has no problem taking a shot, not getting it, backing out, resetting, dropping down, and just doing it all over again. Just shoot, reshoot, multiple takedowns before he eventually gets you to the ground. While TJ can be a busy offensive wrestler, his defensive wrestling needs quite a bit of work. He sits at 36% right now, and he has been taken down 14 times in eight fights. He's been dropped in four of those as well. He is coming off the loss to Bill Algeo, where he was taken down, dropped, and subbed inside of two rounds. Gut reaction here, just looking at this, building the graphics, the gut reaction was, this is TJ all day. He's a tough wrestler. He's going to continue to come forward no matter what. I mentioned he has been dropped in four of his eight UFC fights, but you'll see he's been knocked out in none of them. This could look exactly like Elkins lost to Jonathan Peace, where the pressure, the grappling, is going to be enough to get it done. But I don't love these two-to-one odds on TJ, right? His takedown defense is suspect. So is his chin. I'm probably going to wait to see if this line tightens up a bit, but I am fairly confident that TJ is going to be able to win this fight, not to mention the age difference. But we all know Darren Elkins is insanely tough, insanely gritty, and it doesn't matter what you do to him. He's just going to keep coming forward, keep grinding, keep trying to get that win. Then we have Ashley Yoder taking on Emily Ducate. Ashley Yoder has been out for two years. Two full years, but she is making the walk back into the octagon. She was out with a handful of different injuries and reality TV show dreams. She was uh, decent before she left, right? She's a little better than her record would imply. Style-wise, she's very tough. She does have some skills. She's long. She uses her jab to keep range. When she closes that distance, she wants to set up some takedowns, and she likes to stay busy. She's not very dangerous. She does tend to accept guard if she's taken down, but you can count on her to hang tough and fight for an entire 15 minutes. She's taking on Emily Ducate, the former Invicta fighting champion. She's got some slick counter-striking, legitimate power, and good wrestling as well. She is durable and accurate. Wait, hold on. Good wrestling defense. Her takedowns are not great. Her defense, her defensive wrestling is actually pretty solid. But she is durable as well. She's accurate. What she does well is she's going to throw straight punches and come right down the middle. She has not had a ton of success in the UFC, but in her defense, she was quickly thrown in there with some high-level opponents. She fought Lupe Godinez. We know how good she is. Angela Hill. Angela Hill may not be the greatest fighter on the planet, but she's fought some of the greatest fighters on the planet. She is a tried and true veteran. And Emily got thrown in there with both of them in her two UFC fights. She's tough. She's going to stay active. She's going to be better than her recent UFC record. On the surface, Emily is a very easy pick, but I've also picked her in a couple of fights that didn't go my way. Yoder's not very dangerous. She's coming back after two full years outside of the cage. But if you look closer... As I mentioned, Yoder is better than her UFC record, and she's a threat for not only takedowns, but just some volume and could win a decision dancing around and throwing her hands out there. I am still squarely on the Emily Ducate side of this fight, but she could lose this fight the same way that she lost to Angela Hill, and I'm not touching the minus 270 money line on her. Again, I hope this is a weird line and it's going to tighten up, and if it does tighten up, then I think Emily's pretty safe here. Again, two years away for Ashley Yoder. Emily is big. Emily throws a ton of volume. She can stay busy. And 
I was hoping, I was hoping that we were going to get a discount because she is winless in the UFC, but that's just not going to happen today. But anyway, Emily Ducate is the pretty confident pick. Then we have Irina Alexkiva taking on Melissa Dixon. Irina Alexkiva is a world Sambo champion. She literally walks forward, wings punches from her hips, and then tries to get that Sambo going. She's going to walk you down like a zombie, throwing wild, looking to grapple. And if you're tied up, she's going to toss you. If you're not tied up, she's going to roll into something. And like most Sambo athletes, she does have very, very good uh, submissions, some solid takedowns as well. She takes risks. And she gets taken down because of those risks, but she doesn't care. She trusts her grappling off her back. She's coming off that submission win over Stephanie Egger, where she literally rolled to a knee bar two minutes into the first round. It was a scramble. They're standing up, and Arena was just like, whoop, just rolled right to a knee bar, and she got it. Very risky type of fight. If you don't get that, you just end up getting pounded in the face, and the announcer to talk about what a bum you are. Why would you do that? That's so stupid. But she did get it, and it's like, whoa, Russian Ronda, so good. Yeah, bro, sick. I, I don't know why I just did that. Anyway, we got Melissa Dixon, also known as Melissa Mullins. Again, I'm doing research on all these new women in the UFC. They all have 11 names. I imagine it's marriage and everything else, but it's getting crazy. She's a powerful and accurate striker who does have the composure of somebody with far more fights than you see on her record. Her striking is clean. It is very impressive. She's going to work you to a clinch, pick you apart at range. She's going to just fight you inside the pocket. On top of all of that, she will grapple you as well. She can fight anywhere and she can adjust to those situations. Her takedowns are not the best and most times they're not even needed. I just said most instead of most. This is where the lisp comments come from. Anyway, She's going to wrestle. She's going to take you down. She doesn't even need to. She's winning most of the striking exchanges in all of her fights, but then she'll still clinch. She'll still try to work you to the ground. She is making her UFC debut here after going 5-0 and on the regional scene, and I think Melissa should run away with this fight. Her striking is very, very impressive. Like, very impressive striking. Arena's leaves a lot to be desired. My only real concern here is that Arena is an absolute savage on the ground. And Melissa does tend to initiate clinches for no reason at all. Other takedown exchanges for no reason at all. She will be winning the striking exchanges. Then tie up, hold you in a clinch, and then try to get you to the ground. There's absolutely no reason to do that. She does it often anyway, and it's worked for her so far. But doing that against somebody like Arena who's just no problem rolling for something, no problem pulling guard, no problem throwing up a flying. Like, she's just going to do whatever she's going to do to try to get a submission. So if Melissa does what she's supposed to do, which is keep distance, she will pick Arena apart, light her up on the feet. It's not even going to be close. But if she initiates these weird takedown exchanges for no reason, well, then she could have a little bit of trouble here. But I'm going to trust her. I mean, her composure is phenomenal for somebody with five fights. I am going to trust her. She's going to be the very clear pick. I'm pretty confident in her. If you go watch the tape, her striking is great. I mean, it is great striking for a 5-0 fighter making a UFC debut. Then we have Michelle Pajeda taking on short notice Andre Petrovsky. He was supposed to fight Marc-Andre Barreau, but Marc-Andre's out. Andre Petrovsky stepped in. And this is at middleweight, as you will notice. It was going to be middleweight before. It is middleweight now. So it's not as if the short notice has affected the weight class. Michelle Pajeda is a capoeira fighter. He's got those flashy kicks, spins, and punches. He is a big 170-pounder who has struggled to make the weight, which is why this is at 185 pounds. Every time I do one of Michelle Pajeda's breakdowns, I complete, I, I'm blown away by his age. I just assume he's 35, 36. He feels like he's been around forever. He looks 
older than he is, but he is only 30 years old. He has a wild future ahead of him. He's unbelievably talented. He still has a touch of crazy in him, but he seems to have controlled that the last couple of years. He's got good power, good speed, can work in some takedowns, good BJJ. He's got all the things except weight management. He's coming off that failed weigh-in attempt against Wonder Boy a few months ago. Taking on Andre Petrovsky. As I mentioned, Andre Petrovsky stepping up on short notice. This guy's a very good wrestler with his takedowns, very good wrestler with his speed, his timing, his accuracy. His stand-up is just okay, but it is loaded with power, and he's going to wing it and then look for those takedowns. He is a wrestler. I mentioned fast, clean takedowns, and he sets those up with the power shots. He's got some solid BJJ as well, and he uses that to control positions, potentially snatch submissions up as well. He is coming off, though, that split decision. Split, S-P-L-I-T, decision win over Gerald Mearshart. This guy was supposed to come in there, knock out the chinniest guy in the division, but instead, yeah, he had two takedowns, he had a knockdown, but he was getting outstruck. And all of a sudden, Gerald Mearshart's looking pretty good in that fight, and that factors into this a bit for me because Andre's stepping up on a week's notice, and I don't know why. This dude has not had the best of cardio in the past, so he's going to step up on short notice with questionable cardio to begin with and fight one of the busier, better guys. Yes, he thinks he's going to be bigger, but already we can see Michelle Pajeda is taller and they have the same reach. They might literally be the same size. Michelle Pajeda is a big 170, and at middleweight, at 185, maybe bigger than Petrovsky or at least be the same size. So we have Andre Petrovsky, questionable cardio, stepping up on short notice to fight. Uh, and Michelle Potato's cardio is decent. It's not amazing, but it's decent. And at 85, it may be amazing. But I, I, I'm going to go Michelle Pajeda here, and I'm pretty confident in that. And it's really because of the short notice. If this wasn't short notice, it might be a different breakdown, but it is short notice. And Andre Petrovsky does have bad cardio. So Michelle Pajeda is the pick. Then we have another rebooked fight. We have Edgar Chavez taking on Daniel Lacerda. We just saw this fight a couple of weeks ago. There was a questionable stoppage, right? If you remember, Edgar had Daniel in a choke. The referee was pulling up Daniel's arm. Daniel was fine. Daniel was fine. The referee checked it again. The arm was com just, the arm was completely limp. So the referee stopped it and everybody called the referee an idiot and Dominic Cruz jumped down his throat, all the things. The reality is, go watch that again. Go watch that again. I think it was a perfectly fine stoppage. Daniel Lacerda's arm is completely limp. And then you have Daniel Cormier and Dominic Cruz. Oh, well, the way that this technique works is you don't want to move. You're just waiting. Bro, you know the referee was checking to see if you were conscious or not. And you're just going to let your arm be limp, like dead limp. I, I personally do not think it was a bad stoppage. I think the referee did what he was supposed to do. And to clown him, to say, oh, he doesn't understand you. Just, I, think that's, I honestly think that's ridiculous. I genuinely think that's ridiculous. The dude's arm was limp. Go watch it back. Let me know if you agree. I mean, some idiot in the comment. LOL, you don't know. Shut the fuck up. Got a little aggressive there. I'm sorry. I, I genuinely think that referee caught a bad rap for that because, yeah, Daniel Lacerda popped up instantly. He was like, whoa, I'm fine. And maybe he was fine. Maybe he was fine. But his arm was 100% limp. The same arm the referee was checking a minute ago to see if you were conscious or not. So I don't think it's... Yes, Daniel Lacerda was not unconscious. So in that regard, it was a bad stoppage. But I don't think it's outrageous to put yourself in the referee's shoes and say, yes, he, he checked and the guy was limp, which would imply that he was unconscious. Anyway, they've rebooked it because of all that controversy. But let me recap that first fight. 
Lacerda had a takedown. Lacerda looked like he might be winning. Edgar gets a nice scramble, gets in that choke, and then the referee takes care of the rest. Was he going to get submitted anyway? Felt like it. But let's go ahead and break these two guys down. Edgar Chavez. This guy's pretty solid. His UFC debut was short notice against Tatsura Tyra. If you remember, he was a plus 600 underdog. A plus 600 underdog. And then he made the fight close, pulled guard a few times, looked a little pathetic. But he made the fight closer than a lot of people thought it would be. So then he just got a ton of respect. Everybody's like, wow, this guy's really good. And he is decent, but he does do some stupid stuff. The pulling of the guard is kind of stupid. He was taken down his last fight, no problem. I don't think he's as good as we originally thought he was. But he is still a decent guy. He's going to throw nice long kicks. He's going to box you up. He'll snatch up a single leg. He'll look to get it to the ground. He is tough. He's not a guy you're just going to get out of there immediately. But he is a guy that may make some poor fight IQ decisions. Taking on Daniel Lacerda. 0-4-1, I guess, will include the non-decision there. 0-4-1 in the UFC. Style-wise, he is a solid striker. He's got good kicks, good forward pressure. If he gets you to the ground, he's got nice control, nice pressure from top. Takedowns are not great, so it's not a guarantee that he'll get it to the ground, but he will come forward. He will try to work that. He is a feast or famine guy. All 11 wins are by stoppage. So are the five losses. Even the no decision was a stoppage. He's very dangerous, but he is willing to put himself into harm's way and chase a stoppage. Before this last fight, he was coming off that wild fight with C.J. Vergara where... I mean, he had C.J. Vergara knocked out 17 times in that first round. This is another interesting breakdown because it's not going to change much from the last time. I picked Edgar Chavez last time. I think he is still the pick. Right now, Edgar Chavez is a bigger favorite than he was last time. Last time he closed at minus 220. Now he's about minus 275. And I'm surprised. I would think he would be a smaller favorite because frankly, again, if you watch that last fight, Daniel Lacerda got the easy takedown. Daniel Lacerda was doing well. It was a scramble. Lacerda ended up in that choke situation, but he wasn't out. So, uh, frankly, I think we end up in the same boat. I think Daniel Lacerda is going to look insanely dangerous for a couple of minutes. Going to fade. Edgar Charles will take over. Edgar is very tough, so he'll survive whatever comes his way. Even if he's taken down again, he'll scramble. Edgar's going to be the pick here. But I'm surprised that the line is wider and not tighter. I feel like a lot of people who bet on Charez the first time should look at it again and say, uh, maybe I don't bet on him this time. So going to be interesting to see what that line closes at. I am curious. Let me know in the comment section, though, if you think after watching that last fight, you are more confident or less confident in Edgar this time around. Then we have Christian Rodriguez taking on Cameron Samen. Christian Rodriguez played spoiler in that last fight. Remember, he beat up that 17-year-old boy? But he's here. His line is juiced. And it's going to be interesting because Christian Rodriguez is a slick striker. He does have some solid movement. He has some good speed. He bounces up and down in weight classes between 35 and 45. But his only career loss was at 45, and he seems to be settled down here at 35. Rodriguez does have some decent takedown defense at 66%. But he has been taken down 13 times so far in the UFC. He's coming off the underdog win over Raul Rosas Jr. If you remember, he uh, was getting his ass kicked early. Then just kept his composure, conserved his energy. And the 17-year-old kid blew his wad, was just sort of panicking. And Christian Rodriguez was able to dance around and get it done. 
I do think people were very, very high on it, like too high on Christian for that win. But we'll talk about that in a second. He's taking on Cameron Saman. This guy's a fun technical striker who can grapple if he needs to. He does a great job of stepping into combinations and finishing them with leg kicks. Just when you think you have him figured out, you figured out his striking cadence, he's going to work in a spinning attack. He might even drop down to take a shot. He doesn't have incredible power, but he is fast. He's accurate. He is relentless enough to get it done. He's coming off the first round knockout win over Terrence Mitchell. And I do think this is a tricky fight to break down, but I am, again, squarely of the mindset that Christian is being overvalued here because he won as a massive underdog against a high school kid. And let's not forget, he was getting manhandled in that fight until Rosas gassed. So yes, Christian is composed and he did all the things. He won that fight. I'm not taking the win away from him. That was a great win. But what I am saying is I think he's getting a little too much credit for that win because, yes, like the, the best thing Christian did in that fight was not get tired. That's the best thing he did. We didn't see impeccable technique. We didn't see anything other than his opponent gassed like crazy. Christian is an older guy, not older, but you know, more experienced guy that had more fights and he stayed composed, didn't panic, and was able to win that fight because of that. So if we zoom out, we have Cameron in the underdog spot here. He does have four takedowns in the UFC. Two of them were in his last fight. If I could trust that Cameron Saman would wrestle, if I could trust that he would come in here, be all in on the wrestling, which he might be. You watch Christian Rodriguez's last fight. It's like, okay, you can take this guy down. If I could trust that that's what he would do, I would be all in on him at plus money right now. I don't know. I don't know if I can trust that. He's still kind of young. He's still starting to figure things out, but he is tough. He is a technical striker. I'm going to go ahead. I am going to pick Cameron here. Uh, low confidence type pick, but I'm going to eat my own dog food. I'm going to drink my own champagne. I'm going to watch the line movement tracker. And if this continues to stretch out, Cameron continues to become a bigger and bigger underdog. I may jump on that. If it's tightening, I'm still going to jump on it. I think at some point I'm going to place a bet on Cameron. I'm just going to keep an eye on what direction that line is going because I do think he can get this done. I'm hoping to get a little more value. Maybe when the props drop, I can get a plus three and a half. So all I'll need Cameron to do is win one single round instead of win the fight outright. So we'll see what these odds are doing. If it's tightening, I'm probably just going to hit it. If it's widening, I might wait for that plus three and a half bet. If you don't know what that is, you basically buy the round. You buy a round on the judges scorecard. So all Cameron would need to do in real life is win one single round. I bought a second round. So now he wins the bet. If he gets finished, you don't get paid. If he gets shut out, you don't get paid. If he wins outright or makes it a close fight, loses a split, loses a 29-28, you do get paid. I like those bets in these in these what should be close fights where the odds are wide. I love those bets in those spots. If you want to see when we place that bet or if we place that bet or any of our other bets, just go to wewantpicks.com, click become a member. It's only $10 a month. You're going to unlock everything you have ever needed to have some fun and make some money watching these fights. Then we have a banger. We got Jonathan Martinez taking on Adrian Yanez. I showed you the line on the Jonathan Martinez fight. The guy opened at a plus 250 underdog. He's now a minus 115 favorite, like tiny favorite. But that line movement is absolutely wild. But I get it. Jonathan Martinez is a very well-rounded guy. He's got technical striking, slick BJJ. He's got that Muay Thai striking style with really nice kicks. And he uses those to control range. He doesn't really go to his wrestling often, but when he does, he's got slick submissions that he's going to snatch up in a scramble. He's coming off that questionable, 
questionable win over Saeed Namagamanov, where his takedown defense actually looked really good. Taking on Adrian Yanez. This guy is a fun technical striker with high striking IQ, really fast hands, real power, and up until his last fight, an incredible chin. He can be a slow starter, and if you dig into his fight stats, he is outstruck pretty much in the first round of all of his fights. I mean, that's basically how that's going to go. But once he gets his hands going, once he hits a rhythm, he's absolutely incredible. He has seven fights in the UFC with five fight night bonuses and five stoppage wins. He is coming off, though, that first round knockout loss to Rob Font, where his striking actually looked really good, but a few stiff jabs and that pressure were a problem. This is a phenomenal matchmaking. Like they've, they've done a great job putting this fight together. Two really fun fighters that are honestly only a few wins away from talking about a title shot. Martinez is the overall better, more well-rounded fighter. He has slick striking, he's got solid BJJ, but while Yanez is not the overall better fighter, I do expect him to be the far better striker and without Jonathan Martinez just diving at leg, shooting takedown after takedown, we have a striker versus striker matchup. Adrian Yanez's boxing is so freaking clean. It is so fast. He touches people up. His takedown defense is sitting at 100%. So even if Jonathan Martinez wants to wrestle, I think Adrian can keep this on his feet. And if that takedown defense holds up and Adrian lets his hands go and he's not gun shy because he's coming off that knockout loss, I think Adrian wins this fight. I mean, his striking is absolutely beautiful. This is going to be a great fight. I expect it to be fight of the night. So Adrian Yanez is going to be the pick, but you know we're going to need him to let his hands go. We're going to need him to not worry about you know getting knocked out like he was in his last fight. We're going to need him to not worry about the takedowns and just be that comfortable, fluid striker. And if he's all those things, then he will win this fight. And we have the co-main event of the evening. We have Jennifer Maya taking on Vivian Arujo. I'll tell you right now, spoiler Jennifer Maya at minus 141 is a great deal. I think she dominates this fight. Great deal. I already have a unit on her, and that's been sitting there for a little bit. I think people are going to see that, and I think this line is going to widen. So go ahead and jump on that if you agree with that statement. Jennifer Maya, she's very well-rounded. She's got good BJJ, decent wrestling, underrated boxing. She is a decision fighter, right? She's not crazy dangerous, but she pushes a pace and she does look for finishes. She's incredibly tough. She's solid everywhere. Great gatekeeper for divisional talent. I don't think she's going to win a belt anytime soon, but I do think she's going to beat a lot of these aging out fighters. And I think she's going to beat a lot of up and comers or, you know, maybe fraud check a few prospects like she did to Casey O'Neill, where she went 0 for 4 in takedown attempts, but she did land more strikes and control the pace. She's taking on Viviana Rujo or Vivi as we affectionately call her. She's a grappler who is comfortable striking as well. She has technical boxing, great low kicks, but she does get hit pretty often and does have a negative striking differential. She's athletic, fast, and always looking for a finish both standing and on the ground, but conditioning can be an issue for her in the later rounds because of that early pressure. She averages almost two takedowns per fight. She has an impressive 80 2% takedown defense, and she is coming off that loss to Amanda Hebas, where she was slow and a step behind. And these odds are actually a lot closer than I thought they were going to be. I mentioned, I think Jennifer Maya has great value at minus 140 fun. I think Jennifer runs away with this fight. And by runs away, I mean, you know, wins a decision because she's not very dangerous. And it may be close-ish, but I think Jennifer Maya is just going to beat Vivi to the punch. I think she's better pretty much everywhere except maybe raw takedowns neither one of them are particularly amazing wrestlers so I don't think it matters very much who the better wrestler is here and then 
you know, we have Jennifer, who I think is going to early weather the early storm, start to take over the striking, wear her down, keep coming forward. The cardio is going to hold up. Vivi's going to slow down. And I think Jennifer Maya at minus 141 is a phenomenal discount. I have a full unit on that. And uh, one of my more confident picks on this card. Then we have the main event of the evening. It doesn't have the wild star power that a Dawson versus Green did. But it is actually a good main event. I am very curious to see who wins this fight. It should be very, very interesting to see how good Sadiq Youssef is. We essentially have young talent versus tried and true vet. Sadiq Youssef is a fantastic striker with a ton of power, incredible speed, a wide variety of attacks. He's 7-1 and one in the UFC. He's just quietly putting together quite the record. He's outstruck basically every single opponent, including Arnold Allen, who beat him. He lost to Arnold Allen, and Sadiq Youssef outstruck him there. He has solid takedown defense at 70%. Solid enough get-up game that you can't really ride him out. He is coming off that win over Don Shanus where Don shot a takedown. Sadiq sucked up a guillotine. And what's funny is you watch that fight. Dominic Cruz, I'm, I'm actually trashing Dominic Cruz quite a bit in this breakdown. Dominic Cruz talking about, oh, this is a special choke. It was a freaking guillotine choke. And Dominic Cruz talking about like it was some wildly special, crazy thing. It was a guillotine choke. Anyway, taking on Edson Barbosa. Tried and true. Tried and true, Edson Barbo. This guy's been fighting for what feels like 100 years. And he has wild highlights from 20 years ago in the UFC. It's, it's absolutely crazy. He's a great striker. He's got great movement. He's fought every single person in this division. He's a walking highlight reel of knockouts and submissions. He's unbelievably fast. He's insanely technical. Barboza doesn't initiate many takedowns, but he is very good on the ground, and he does have some sneaky submissions. The easiest comparison that you can make, and people are going to be like, ooh, ooh, because everybody doesn't understand context, but you could basically say that Edson Barboza is a watered-down, not-as-good version of Charles Oliveira. They have that similar style. Technical striker, solid on the ground, not really going to initiate takedowns, but it's there. Very similar in technique, very similar in experience, just never really got to that next level. But he is coming off that first-round knockout win over Billy Q, which sort of revived his career a little bit. It seemed like he was sort of heading down. But this is another great fight. This is a super close fight as well. The line knows that. Vegas knows that. Sadiq is like the tiniest of favorites right now. Both of these men are very good strikers who showcase clean technique. I don't know if I could say one of these guys has better technique than the other, but I can say that one of them has world's more experience and one of them has youth. So the question really becomes, what's more important, youth or experience? You want the 30-year-old who's super fast, seems to be at the top of his game, or the tried and true 37-year-old who may not be the youngest, but he is there, he is accurate, he is still all the things he always has been, maybe just a little less because he's slower and a little older here. But this is going to be interesting. If this was going to be a full-blown, well-rounded MMA fight, I would actually lean experience. I would go the Edson Barboza side. But I think we're going to end up with a striking match. And in that regard, yes, Edson Barboza is insanely technical in all of those things. I'm going to go with Sadiq Youssef to be just a little faster, just a hair ahead. And I think that's going to matter. I think when we get to striking... That's when age matters quite a bit. And I'm focusing on age a lot here because I think that's what this fight's going to boil down to. I think Sadiq's going to look a little cleaner, a little fresher, a little faster, and that's going to be the difference. So I'm going to go ahead and pick Sadiq Youssef here, but I'm probably just going to watch this fight because this is a really great matchup. And I'm, what am I going to do? Go spend all this money on even money? We have a phenomenal Edson Barboza, a phenomenal Sadiq Youssef. Guy's a little older. Guys, like There's just so many factors here. And it is razor thin. I should I think it should be razor thin. But Sadiq Youssef is going to be the pick because of that youth. Guys, 
let me send you 50 bucks. Go to wewantpicks.com slash bets. Sign up with any one of our betting partners using our links and I will send you 50 bucks as a thank you. It's affiliate marketing. They're going to pay me and I'm going to take some of that money and I'm going to give it right back to you as a thank you. Wewantpicks.com slash bets. You got to use the link, make a deposit and we'll send you that 50 bucks. You can use that to become a premium member. Premium membership. Yes, you're going to get all of our bets and all of our picks. You're going to see all of that. The confidence levels the round line leans, all of that. But you're also gonna get tools to make your own picks, make your own bets, do all your own stuff. One of those is the line movement tracker. You're gonna get opening odds, current odds, win probability for every single flight. Another one of those is the detailed data metrics and analytics. But you're also gonna get courses. We will teach you. We wanna grow this community. We wanna grow everybody's understanding of the sport and all the different ways that you can make money or have fun watching a sport. One of the first courses we have here is the Beginner's Guide to DraftKings Fantasy. It's gonna walk you through what DraftKings Fantasy is, how to build a lineup, how to play, how much money you should be messing around with, what all the terms are, and all of that. Just click on more in the menu and then courses. And of course, you're gonna get more than just me, more than just Jacob. You're gonna get Running Mouth MMA. There's three of them giving you picks and bets. You're gonna get Artem. He's breaking down far more than just UFC. You're gonna get a Contender Series, Bellator, LFA, Cage Warriors, all those regional shows. And you're gonna get the Pick Doctor. This guy's an AI, or a guy developed an AI to pick fights based solely on stats and historical data. All of that is available at wewantpicks.com. Just click, become a member.